Hello. But is it? Could be a cracker. Listen. Uh, you know we can add polls to the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fullest. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of a thin crust. I don't ever turn it down. I enjoy it when I eat it. I would never think to order it Here's because, more. partly because it costs the same as the right, rest, and, and I'm getting, getting less food. Right. So, because guess what you're getting? I, I like my carbs. I don't want to lose my carbs. You're getting a cracker. I like crackers. Yeah. I'm a big Ritz girl. I would put. I would put so some. You have like a wheat thins pizza. But then it would still be like, like you cannot tell me that you would, wouldn't go to a party and you'd see like a plate of wheat thins with someone put pizza sauce and mozzarella cheese on it. You'd go, oh, that's a cute little appetizer. You wouldn't call that a pizza. No, but if they put a, if they made a whole pan full of it, then maybe. False. False. <laughs> oh, it's, I'm triggered. Okay. We're going to talk this about This is more fun than getting Josh going about LeBron James. So I don't know anything about LeBron James, but you can talk <laughs> this, about him all day. But my nephew Josh insists. Uh, to uh, the argument that LeBron is the greatest NBA player of all oh, time. Oh, well, I will argue with that. And honestly, I don't really care that much. I, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. I'm not going to be convinced otherwise, and that's largely emotional <laughs> and entirely subjective because you can't compare the, the different eras the same way. You, you can't. I would make the argument that, that if you put LeBron James in that era with Michael, Carl Malone, Michael, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kareem playing at that time. So many of those guys. Right. He's another guy. He's another another player. Now, he's he's still at the top. He's still in that top conversation. And I don't think you can ever get LeBron out of the top five conversation of all time. What about Kobe? But you can't. I I would put Kobe. Shaq's different because he's a very position-specific player. You know, he can't do the same things. But as most dominant. Shaq was the single most dominant player that I remember seeing. Well, yeah, intimidating, In- intimidating. He's- like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was unstoppable. Nobody could stop him ever. Period, and nobody ever could. It to me, he is without question the greatest center I ever saw play. I can't speak to the Wilts and guys before that, but he was the great, the, the player as far as all around basketball. And I love David Robinson and, and all these others that I watched. <clears throat> but Kareem was the guy. Shaq was an unstoppable force. More than basketball player, they just call him the diesel. He was the diesel. You you do not get in his way right. or you will die. Right. I mean, it's just that kind of thing. But Anyway, here's the thing. I think that those are all like the conversation. You can name like 10, 10 basketball players that will never fade out of the conversation. But I feel like at the top is always Michael Jordan. Yeah, Jordan didn't just change the game. He changed the not. It didn't just change the game. He didn't change just the marketing. He changed the entire culture. He changed everything. How do we go from so, pizza to Michael Jordan? Well, because Josh likes to argue that, and so he gets oh. fired up and triggered about it. You know what I like to and argue And I don't with? really care about the argument that much because it's there is no right answer. I like it's to kind argue of pointless, with Josh about, but I like to get him fired well, up. Right. I like to do that same thing, except for we argue about whether a hamburger is a sandwich. There you go. Is it? It's, what is the definition of a sandwich? Listen, it's its own category. I'm not. Is a taco a sandwich? Mm-mm. I mean, if a hamburger is a sandwich, is a, a hamburger is what, not a what sandwich. What about a hot dog? Is a hot dog no. a sandwich? Because is a hot dog a taco? As the bun wraps around it. I hate everything. Let's keep talking. About it. <laughs> See again. Is this the I just think it's fun to get you triggered here, but but I get triggered about stupid things, and I'm not proud yes. of that. Yes, you do. I'm proud of and that. it's entertaining to me. I don't know if it's entertaining to anybody it's listening not. or watching, but they're like, "Who's this?" It's super entertaining to me. So, 
I'm about as like I'm drinking an iced coffee. Who am I? Like <laughs> nobody cares about my opinion. The good news is, Christ knows who you are. Because yeah, yeah. you are a daughter, you are a daughter That's of God by the blood of Christ shed for That's you. That's all I need. And that is our identity. It's a nice day. Which actually day, is something so. that will probably come up next week in, in our podcast. Well, good, because I need some, <laughs> someone else to care about me. <laughs> but, but the reality is God determines our, our identity. We That's like true. in our... Uh, I, was just, a, a sense of humor I was just listening to it's a, a podcast from, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago that I was listening to from um, the guys at Nine Marks uh, with, it was an interview with Carl Truman who wrote um, the book, um, the, the, what is it, The uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Mm. And uh, so anyway, there's a conversation in there about identity. And, and one of the things I think that comes out of what we see in numbers three and four is that our identity is determined by God, not by us. We, we have taken activities and actions and then caused, uh, we've psychologized them and then we've, we've caused this to be how we perceive ourselves. How we That's a bold statement in 2022. Well, a it, true statement. I think, but it was, a bold statement. I think it was a bold statement in Moses time as well. Yeah. And, and so, and, which saying, is why everybody... the people continue to rebel. And, and again, it'll come up in, in uh, chapter five next week, as we talk about purity mm-hmm. and, and uh, purity and justice and infidelity and all that. Um, Lighthearted things. <laughs> but but all of that's rooted in what we see this week, which is rooted in what we saw last week, that everything centers on the Lord, that uh, he has chosen out of the human race this people, and he's chosen uh, uh, He's chosen uh, from this people the specific tribe of Levi and the specific family of Aaron for these jobs. Just like he chose Moses, Moses wasn't looking to be God's prophet. He wasn't seeking God, mm-hmm. but God chose him gave him this assignment, gifted him to do it. Uh, Moses responded uh, because God caused him to respond. He resisted, and then God brought him around. So we get to to Numbers 3 and 4, and uh, having, in our in our last episode, we, we saw God previously pre- <laughs> prepare the people for what's coming by taking the census and ordering them for war. And so the census that we see uh, in the first two two chapters there has to do with uh, the those who are able to serve in the military. And it's a repeated phrase, so there's an emphasis to it. It's very clear. He's not just counting the people. He's counting the, the warriors or the, the potential mm-hmm. warriors here. Now, in this section, there's a new, a different, uh, let's say, an addendum to the census. He didn't have the Levites counted. Now he does, but he doesn't count them the same way. He doesn't count them according to who can serve in the military because that's not their job. He counts them according first to every male uh, from everyone uh, a month old and older, every male a month Mm -hmm. old and older, so that he identifies the Levites with God's redemption of the firstborn back in Exodus when uh, at the tenth plague, when the firstborn of, of Egypt were slain, um, God saved all the firstborn of Israel through the Passover, and it's celebrated even yet today. And we see that as a foreshadowing of of what will come in Christ. But now God says, "I'm taking the Levites in place of the firstborn of Israel, who were consecrated to me." But God's making this trade, so I'm choosing 
my anointed people, and they will take the place of those who were otherwise to be given to me as a sacrifice. So now, uh, and I don't, without exploring this too far, and I don't know if maybe I'm, maybe this is a somewhat spurious or specious connection, but I think we see in that a little bit of the picture of Christ, the anointed one, that's what Christ or Messiah means, being God's chosen one to be taken in trade for us, that he is now the appointed priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is the appointed sacrifice to pay what we were to pay. And just as Israel was to pay their firstborn to God, now he is saying, I'm going to trade. Hmm. I'm going to take these people that I've chosen. And maybe I'm stretching that. I don't think I am, uh, but I wouldn't want to hang my hat on that without some <laughs> some affirmation from smarter, smarter folks than I am or uh, more specifically from something clear in Scripture. But what we see in this passage uh, is very clearly that those who belong to the Lord must worship and serve him on his terms. So he calls out the Levites, the Levites, the Levites they left at home, they wore their... Their, their Wranglers? <laughs> yeah, they wore their Lees and Wranglers around. <laughs> I hate Chihuahua. Where's that coffee again? Anyhow, as we're, as we're going through this, he sets this up, not for war, but for worship. And worship turns out to actually be war. And when, when you are following in, uh, when you're following the Lord's command, the wars that they fight are actually worship. They're surrendering to God. And when they fail at this, it's because they're not worshiping God properly. God's not at the center. They do it their way instead of his way. And God punishes them for that. Or he just doesn't go with them to help them in, in various circumstances, and they get wiped out because it's supposed to all be about a life surrendered to the Lord, centered on him. Well, now in the in the formal, in the cult, if you will, of worship, the, the idea of what's taking place with the tabernacle has to be handled by consecrated individuals because right. unholy people cannot uh, stand before a holy God. So as... Uh, as he calls the Levites and sets them apart, he, he has them encamp around the tabernacle, a sort of a buffer zone between the, the regular common folks and those who were set apart for him. He uh, has them counted for this redemption price, and then there's a price that's paid uh, uh, for the number of firstborn that are larger than the Levites and so on. But then he has them counted for all the males thir ages 30 to 50 who could serve in in the tabernacle, mm -hmm. which limits who can serve even among them. So now this is the chosen tribe, but not everybody can do it. Yeah. You can only do it if you're a male between 30 and 50. So once you get to 50, forced retirement kind of thing, <clears throat> if you're 29, nope, not, you don't qualify yet. Interestingly, Jesus begins his earthly ministry at 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, God doesn't do things by accident. Right. And so as we uh, watch it unfold, the, the restrictions might seem arbitrary to us. But all of this stuff, every part of it, hinges on the fact that God is God and I'm not. That, that's the message that we've been sent from the very beginning, from the beginning of Genesis. Uh, and <clears throat> many scholars believe that Job was the first book to actually be, uh, be written. Uh, not that it chronologically happened first, obviously in the beginning happens in the beginning. But <clears throat> um, when you see that the, the overall story of Job, it's that I'm God. And what I do is good. 
and right, but I don't answer to you. And, you know, Job maintains his righteousness the whole time, gets to the end. And, you know, he, he just keeps saying, if God would just show up, then, you know, I'd be exonerated of all these things. And God shows up and guess what happens? Job sits down and shuts up because God says, who are you? You know, he doesn't he doesn't uh, condemn Job. Uh, we don't have he doesn't even tell Job why it's happening. That's the interesting part to me is we see from the beginning that uh, we have the uh, I'm starting to slide off the off the shot there. Sorry. With the cane. <laughs> but as we see uh, at the very beginning of Job, we're told what's going on in heaven. Right. Job doesn't ever get to see that. It, Poor Job. We we often will say, well, when we get, you know, one day we'll understand it all. Says who? Right. There are things that we will understand, but there are things that we won't because we will never be God. There are things that the angels, even today, long in, long to look into that we are able to see and to receive. The angels long to look into these things, and so if that's the case, why why would we think that God's going to just magically explain everything to us? We will be like him because we will see him as he is we will have all of the restrictions of being you know human sinful humans removed in that removal of sin which inherently darkens our intellect but we're still not god and so that that message reverberates throughout all of the scriptures and here in numbers we're seeing it just really driven home we you know we saw Everything that happened in Genesis, that's the foundation for everything that's going to happen until the consummation and revelation. That God created, we sinned, God works out redemption from the very beginning. He's going to send the serpent crusher. Uh, but our sin gets so bad, he has he judges our sin, right? Sin brings death. We see the, the cataclysm of the of the flood. God, you know, kind of reboots the system that way, but sin comes forward with Noah and his sons. And we see the, you know, the Tower of Babel mm -hmm. and uh, people unifying in this, uh, we might call it, we might, might think of it like a humanistic way. We're, sure. we're going to, if we all just could be more educated and be more technologically advanced, then everything would be good. It would bring in this, this new age. And that's what happens in Genesis 11. And then, you know, no, it's bad. <laughs> and it's, God says, well, this is the opposite right. of what is supposed to happen. They're not unifying in support of their creator God. They're unifying to compete with God, basically, to to you know reach to the skies. That sounds familiar. And we do the same thing, right? right? And so uh, he confuses the languages and, and scatters them. Uh, we're not trying to preach that section, but just to kind of see what, what happens there. Now we've got the, the beginning of the nations as they're scattering. <clears throat> but God calls out Abram. Who later becomes Abraham, and he calls him out from uh, from the land of the Chaldeans, and starts this what we know as Israel, this this new nation, the Hebrews, and he he promises Abraham that he'd make a great nation out of him, and that he would bless all nations through him, and so the the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head is to come through this this line of Abraham. And then we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we get uh, Jacob, his name changes to Israel as he struggles with God and uh, wrestles with who God is. And that humbles him, and he cha it changes the nature of his character as he wrestles with God, with the, the truth. But God still wants us to wrestle with the truth today, to wrestle with him in that sense. So then Jacob, Israel, has the 12 sons, and you know 
Joseph with the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know, God blesses Joseph in a unique way. His brothers hate him for it. Gets you know sold into slavery in Egypt. God elevates him. He becomes the you know the second in all uh, all Egypt behind Pharaoh. Uh, they they end up coming there because of the famine in the land. So seventy of them come. They spend four hundred plus years uh, in in Egypt. Uh, after Pharaoh passes off the scene, new pharaohs come along. They don't care about Joseph. By the time we get to the end, the the Hebrews have become very. The Israelites now have become very numerous. Uh, in fact, we're as we see the censuses, you know, taken at face value, which I'm inclined to do. Um, some who still believe in the inerrancy of the Bible would say, well, those numbers are um, they are. Uh, exaggerated as a literary device that as a uh, an accounting device that was normal for how people spoke with their militaries i don't know about all that what i do know is that's two and a half million people that you're talking about even if you're exaggerating by a lot you're talking about a huge huge blessing from god in the in the increase of their population from 70 to start out with right uh so now the the 12 tribes the 12 uh, sons, the, the descendants of the 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob, are here. Uh, they, they are about a year, about a year and a month removed from uh, leaving Egypt. They've been, uh, we're about a, a month from the end of uh, the book of Exodus. We've had the, the book of Leviticus emphasizing heavily the, the holiness of God and the necessity of God's people to be holy. Uh, because God is holy. We'll look at that a little bit more next week. And now as we're moving in here, we see this establishment. And at every point along the way, you can see it's not because people were better than the others. You know, God chose Jacob over Esau while they were still in the womb. We see that in Romans 9, that before they had ever done anything good or bad, God chose Jacob. God called Abram out of a pagan land from a pagan family. Not We don't see anything about Abram saying, oh, Lord, please, I want to serve you. None of that. <clears throat> so there's a, a big theme in this of God's sovereign election. And I think some people just hearing that phrase get triggered. You know, it's like you with, with Thin Crust Pizza or, or Josh with LeBron James. So there's this whole... Um, you know, just, oh, I, I hear it, and I start to you know, get all worked up. Right. And it, we're not just talking about the idea of God's sovereign election in salvation, mm-hmm. although yes, but it's God's sovereign election in everything, because God is sovereign in everything, over all things, at all times. There's never a time when God is not sovereign, when he is not all authoritative, all powerful, and in all control. And so that's hard for us to wrap our small we little want to be minds in control. Well, that end, it's just a lot for us to process. The problem of evil, the theodicy question comes up so often. If God is good and God is uh, loving and compassionate and God is sovereign and in control, then why does pain, why does evil exist? Why do bad things happen? Right. It, it, that's, that is a philosophical conundrum for us, but it's not for God. Mm-hmm. And so that's to me that's one of the biggest areas where faith really becomes necessary because i can wrestle with the the science you know (laughs) evolution atheistic evolution versus creationism 
that's not really hard to wrestle with. I don't think for me anyway, I don't, I don't see that as intellectually difficult to wrestle with the scientific evidence points to God. You can make a case for it to point to atheism if you like, but that's a matter of your own, you know, your own presuppositions driving your conclusions, but it's not like the evidence is so far off from it. The, the problem with theodicy, with this problem of pain, which, by the way, C.S. Lewis addresses that in his book of that title, The Problem of Pain, that becomes a conundrum for Christ followers as well as atheists. Mm. Okay, what do I do with this? And that's one of the things that God doesn't shy away from in Scripture. He embraces it. He goes into it. Even in Job, you know, we see that the devil is striking Job, and yet God constantly says, I did this to Job. Well, what's he saying? Well, God could have stopped any of it. He allowed it to happen, and by allowing it to happen, God causes it to happen. He created even Satan. He created all things. <clears throat> and so God doesn't try to escape responsibility for that. But God also doesn't answer to us. Mm-hmm. Here in Numbers 3 and 4, we're seeing that driven home in how he advances his worship through the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical work at the tabernacle that, you know, you might have a super sincere person from the tribe of Benjamin who really just wants to devote their lives to the Lord. And they can do that through a variety of means, but they can't do it by working at the tabernacle. Mm. It's not how God set it up. And I think we see that today um, with the the debate or the, the battle that we see over uh, roles of women in ministry. I think that's a huge place. Well, but, you know, this woman is gifted and uh, she really wants to serve. That's great. There's a million ways for you to do that, but not where God says no. And so when God prescribes a particular role to a particular gender, to a particular tribe of Israel, to a particular whatever, if God says it, that settles it, period. The, the, you know, the old cliche from the 70s is God said, God said it, I believe it, that settles mm-hmm. it. No, God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not doesn't have anything to do with it. That has everything to do with what you're going to do about it. It has nothing to do with reality. But we come into that not because the Bible teaches that women are somehow less than. That's that's not in any way taught in Scripture. We do see a picture throughout the Old Testament, and and Shelley's been reading through the Old Testament, and it's just been troubling her how women get treated. Right, because that's what happens when we don't do things God's way. The moment sin entered the picture women became victims Mm -hmm. children became victims they became devalued in life and the powerful gain more value in this world if you don't see that looking around then you're not paying attention and so that doesn't make it good it doesn't make it something that god is pleased with it just it's exactly the opposite it's the opposite of what he's designed for us but sin does that that does not in any way take away from the fact that god chooses God made us male and female on purpose for a reason. And uh, interestingly, we see uh, in Leviticus in particular that there are women serving in the tabernacle. So these Levite women get to serve at the at the door of the tabernacle there. But they they're they're not priests. You know, the the God has established certain particular uh, roles and even in the worship itself in the acts of worship we see that god prescribes how it's to be done mm-hmm. the, like again the 
latter portion of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus. We'll see it again in Deuteronomy. We see it uh, a little bit here. Here is what is to be done to account for sin. Here is Here are the sacrifices to be made. Here's how you are to worship, how you are to approach um, uh, God in the tabernacle. And who is not allowed to? That's a really important part that, you know, and we see this, uh, we were reading in Hebrews uh, chapters 5 and 7, and uh, I may have read from 11, I might not have, I don't remember if that was personal or if it was on, on the during the sermon. But anyhow, as we're looking at, at what God is doing uh, in this, he, he continually puts together this picture that you can't approach a holy God right. as an unholy person. And so in the nation of Israel, the nation could not approach. The, the Levites were the only appointed ones who could handle the holy things, but they could only handle the holy things under the auspices of the Aaronic priesthood. Only Aaron's descendants could be priests. And only Aaron's descendants, the priests, could go into the holy place and deal with those articles. And only the high priest could go into the most holy place and only once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And before he could approach, he would have to make atonement for his sins mm -hmm. before he could make atonement for the people's sins. And this only happens because God ordained it to be so. At any other time, if he does the same thing at any other time, because it's not what God prescribed, he dies. If any of these other people <laughs> try to do the work that God has assigned to someone else, they die. If the Kohathites, who have the, you, you could say, if you're ranking the jobs of the three divisions, which I don't know is, is wise or biblical, but I, but I think there's a sense in which there's these concentric circles of holiness, you know, moving from the, you know, the outer courts into the holy place, into the most holy place, the tent of meeting. And, and as, as you move into that, the Kohathites handle the articles, the ark, and, and, and so on, from the most holy place. Aaron's... Aaron's uh, descendants handle that, package it all up, basically, and, and then the Kohathites carry it. But the Kohathites, who were in charge of that stuff, weren't allowed to look upon them out of their curiosity. They, they, they couldn't presume to enter the most holy place. So again, we don't get to approach God on our terms. We got to approach Him and worship Him on His well, terms. Well, really quickly, because we only have a couple minutes left. But and because I've been talking way too much. No, it's fine. I. <sighs> Because part of this podcast is kind of bringing things into perspective today. And so do you not think that when, when in 2022, a Christ follower is reading this and, mm -hmm. and trying to just grasp all of it, it's intense. Like this yes. person doesn't do this, so they die. This person does this, so dead. And I feel like far too often we're kind of loosey-goosey with things because, oh, Jesus paid for all my sins. I can do whatever. I mean, you're not really that. But, you know, we have this idea but that, we, well, we do but I'm not going to die if I don't, you know, place something a certain way or I'm not going to, you know, we, we have this sense of freedom and we should, but it's like it, this intensity of the holiness of God and the way you need to approach that, like, I feel like that's something we don't take as seriously as we should today. Yeah, I think that's also part of, you know, when people call, the act of the Lord's Supper, communion, remembrance, celebration. When they call that um, a means of grace, mm. uh, for Protestants in particular, we don't mean that to to be saying that it's uh, um, how you receive God's grace, but it's a, it's a tool, it's a channel 
through which God ministers to us. Mm. And so I think at least one part of why, and, and, and I would contend probably the biggest part, uh, that might be speculation on my part, but uh, <clears throat> one, one major reason why it's important for us to take communion on a regular basis with the body of Christ under the guidance of, of elders is for that exact reason, to remind us mm -hmm. that this isn't just a thing that we do. It's right. not just a gathering where we hang out and have coffee and, and so on. You and I, as we're you know, doing this today, we're sitting in the, uh, in the, the church and, and sipping coffee and so on. You wouldn't do that in the temple of God. Sure, right. Uh, and it's really easy, even, you know, like I was talking about on Sunday, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to a church that's, you know, that suits me, right? right? That has the cool right music, kind of music, cool. the right kind of preaching and, and all that. And and I'm not in any way saying that, that you know, we should have bad music right. or bad preaching right. or that everybody needs to wear a, a tie and a dress right. to, to come to church. What I am saying is that it needs to be, we need to dress our hearts, hmm. not our bodies. We need to be looking at Christ. We need to have our focus on him. It needs to be bigger and weightier and and heavier than we generally imagine in our modern evangelicalism. Okay. Well, we will stop there for today because uh, we spent too much time talking about pizza, but not even on this. So and LeBron. Know. And LeBron. Uh, so if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at somethingreallyfunline.org, or you can leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube, or you can call the church. That was good timing. 269-756-RLCC nice. uh, and leave a voicemail, or you can uh, leave a voicemail on the Anchor app if you use that. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening.